0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hi. I always feel like I should have boxing gloves on or something when we do that. At least it doesn't feel like a meat locker like he was in. So sometimes it surprises me the things that we find in Scripture. And if you remember any of your Old Testament history, you know there was a time in Israel's history when they were captive as slaves in Egypt. It was a long time. Generations of Israelites knew nothing other than slavery in Egypt. They had, they had little idea, I think, what it really meant to be God's chosen people. They probably didn't feel like they'd been chosen for anything because they spent all their days packing straw and mud into bricks, doing whatever the Egyptian overlords wanted them to do as slaves. But then God sent Moses back. We know Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And God said, oh, yeah. With a series of plagues, crazy stuff happening, to impress upon Pharaoh, "You will let my people go." And so, finally, it got so bad that Pharaoh not only said, "Okay, you can go," he said, "Take whatever you want." And so Israel gathered, and they left. They they had been delivered from slavery. And God was taking them into a land that they had heard of because their ancestors had lived there previously. It was a land that they described as flowing with milk and honey. It was a great place. But they didn't know, like they only had this vague idea how great it truly was. And I would think... That I'd be excited to be leaving slavery in Egypt to go to live in a wonderful place, whatever my idea of that wonderful place would be. And I think they probably were, but it seems like a little bit they lost their nerve. It seems like they lost their focus. In Exodus sixteen, really it starts in fifteen, we already find them grumbling almost immediately after they'd been rescued, miraculously, from Pharaoh's army, who changed his mind and said, I'm gonna we need that workforce, I'm gonna go get them back. And so Israel finds themselves wandering in the desert, grumbling because they don't have enough water, they don't have enough food. Moses, why did you lead us out here to die in the wilderness? We would have been better off if we just stayed in Egypt. Can you imagine circumstances in your own life that would cause you to think, you know what, I would have just been better as a slave. Now, I know sleeping out in the wilderness in tents is not the most comfortable. But there's a lot to be said for being free, right? I don't think I would like to be a slave at all. I don't think any of us would. But almost immediately, God's people began grumbling. It didn't really stop. They continued to grumble as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And I know it takes a long time to walk from Egypt to Israel, but it doesn't take 40 years. They wandered because God prevented them from entering the land that he had promised them until that generation that had been so disobedient and lost its focus so deeply, that generation died off and the next generation could go in. Before that happened, Moses took 12 spies and he sent them in. We call them 12 spies, but they really weren't spies. They were just... 12 former slaves. They didn't know how to spy. Maybe they were a little bit sneaky. Moses sent them in, and we sing this this song as kids that um, I'm not sure we should sing. It says, 12 men, now if you sing this song and you like this song, it's okay. You can continue to like this song. You can continue to sing this song but just recognize you're seeing something that's probably not correct. Um, Twelve went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad, and two were good. I don't know if that part's accurate. They came back, ten of them had a bad report, and two of them came back with a good report, but the larger truth is missed when we say ten were bad and two were good. And I know it's fun to do that. Ten were bad, two were good. I haven't done that for a long time, so I can't do it fast anymore. My fingers get tangled up. It might not be so much that ten of those guys were bad guys. I think the truth is two of those guys maintained their focus on what God had promised them. And ten of those guys were distracted You can read this sometime in your your week, but in Numbers 13 is that story of Caleb and Joshua, the two that came back with the good report, and the other 10 spies. The other 10 spies saw this great fruit, they saw this great land. It's everything we ever dreamed that it would be, but they're like everybody's a giant there. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. At least that's what we felt like. And so we shouldn't go. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of those 12 who kept their focus on what God had promised. They were the two that kept in mind the realities of heaven, not just the reality that they could see with their eyeballs. Even once they were settled in the promised land years later, Israel continued to lose their focus on God. They still became distracted. And we see story after story of king after king leading the nation in the wrong direction, leading them further and further from the God that brought them there. This last week, or this last eight weeks here in Westway, we have been talking about our focus. And... We've been reading through a bunch of different passages in Scripture. John has been talking to us about several different things. And in your small groups, you've been discussing our focus on the lost, our focus on the values of life, focus on the Bible, on finances, on service, on pastoral care, our focus on relationships and discipleship last week. And there's a danger, I think, that I want to make sure that what we do today, this message today, is just going to be an umbrella, okay? If you think of it as just a way to keep, you know, there's these seven different things that we've been talking about. I'm supposed to be focused on this, and I'm supposed to be focused on this, I'm supposed to be focused on this. It's easy to get so focused on one or two of those things that we miss the big picture. And so today, we're just taking a deep breath. And we're going to take a look at the big picture again. We're focusing on things above, the realities of heaven. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians 3. This is just the first few verses. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. See, if we can stay focused on the realities of heaven, that can help us from being distracted from what really matters. Because we have lives that are full of distraction, don't we? And there's three realities of heaven that I want to point out quickly um, that come up in that passage. And the first is that your tomb is empty. Your tomb is empty. Paul says, since you have been raised... See, for Paul, he was kind of that dead man walking kind of mentality. I have nothing to lose because I have already died to myself, and my life is absolutely and completely in Christ. So there is nothing you can do to me, nothing you can say to me, that will cause me to stop doing what he has called me to do and being what he has called me to be. Paul's tomb was empty. So is yours if you are in Christ because you have been raised to a new life. So set your sights on the realities of heaven. The second reality there is just that your reality is unseen. There's a, there's a bigger reality going on that we don't see with our eyes We don't smell it with our noses We probably don't hear it with our ears But that doesn't make it any less real God is in heaven With Christ sitting at his right hand Ruling Now I know when we think of ruling We think of probably somebody That's always in charge Making, every, making everything happen And that's not what I'm talking about with God We're not just a bunch of puppets with God pulling all the strings, forcing his will. We are agents who have been invited into the accomplishment of his will. We have a part to play. We have a role to fulfill, to be. And we can't do that if we only think about the reality that we see, the reality that we experience here in the physical. And the reason is because of this third reality, and that is that your destination is not here. Do you realize that you are not made for this world? You were made by God in heaven for heaven. Now, that's not to say that what happens here in this earth is not important. It matters to God. God created it and he said, this is good. And he put us here and he said, this is very good. So you go, be fruitful and multiply. You have dominion over this place. But we broke that. And the rest of Scripture is the story of God restoring, making possible new relationship with Him, full relationship with Him. Because that's what we are made for. We're not just made for here and now. We're made for eternity. But the world seems to offer so much, doesn't it? I mean, on the good days, it feels like this is a great place. And maybe this is a modern American problem because we have so much at our disposal. We have so much comfort that we can avail ourselves of and take advantage of. But we died to this world. When we gave ourselves to Christ. And so, all that the world has to offer, we recognize it's not enough. And that's because what the world has to offer is empty, it's temporary. But what the empty tomb of Christ shows us, reveals, is life. See, Jesus, He's not in there anymore. And that's why we have, or can have, an empty tomb as well. And so we need to be mindful of that. We need to be aware of those three things just in a day-to-day basis. And I know, for me, it's very easy to get caught up in all the activities of living, all the things that I have to do, all the stuff that I have to get done, or want to get done. It's easy to get caught up in all of that and lose sight of the reality of heaven. In 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, it says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. God has something better for us than what this world has to offer. I want to go back to the passage in Colossians 3, and the next several verses offer a stark contrast and I want to echo a little bit of what John said last week. God is not primarily concerned here with giving us a moral code. Like, this isn't a checklist. These are the good things. These are the bad things. Of rules to, f- to fulfill and follow. This is a list of characteristics that will lead us into healthy relationships with each other and with God or lead us into very negative relationships with each other and with God. So in Colossians 3.5, it says, So put to death the earthly things lurking within you. Again, this is a direct follow-up of Paul saying, since you've been raised, set your sights on the reality of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That one's kind of tough. Anyone who offends me? Now, I'm not that easily offended. But I've had some times when someone hurt me in a way that made it really hard to really forgive them. I didn't want to forgive them, I wanted to hold on to that and be mad. I wanted to get even. Isn't that what we want often? We want to get back. Sometimes we we don't even want to just get even. We want to get one step ahead, right? Make allowances for each other's faults. I'm glad other people do that for me. Sometimes that's difficult to do, isn't it? To allow someone to make mistakes, even though we know they're, they're going to do it again, because they have faults. They have cracks in the image of God that they are made in. They're not quite the perfect representation of who he is, and neither am I. A good focus on relationships, I would suggest that those characteristics should mark our lives, and strong relationships will be a natural outcome of that. So a couple months ago, and it's hard to believe this was almost two months ago, not quite two, but almost, we had this thing called New Year's Day. And what happens in our culture every New Year's Day is a lot of people make New Year's resolutions, right? How are your New Year's resolutions? I'm not going to make anybody tell any stories, but what were your New Year's resolutions? Just think of those. What did you decide and resolve that you were going to do? And how's that going? I decided several years ago, I'm not making New Year's resolutions because by now all my resolve is gone. I have found usually that thing that I I would have resolved to do like this is my New Year's resolution I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Three or four months ago before New Year's. I knew that I needed to do that, didn't I? Like anybody like you just had an epiphany on December thirty first and you realize, you know what, I know what the problem is with my life. It's this and I'm gonna start different tomorrow because I just found this out. I just realized this no. We know those things are issues, don't we? And we make I say we and I don't generally speaking We make the same resolutions every year. And I don't want to knock anybody that's making resolutions and keeping them. But by this time of year, 80% of the New Year's resolutions that are made, they're done with. Right? Let's be honest. The gym is a lot less crowded next week than it was eight weeks ago. That one made sense. Because we can see that. Reality has a way of killing our resolutions. It has a way of just distracting us and sucking out all of that resolve that we had. But there is a greater reality than what we see here and now. And if we are to be the church that God hopes we'll be in 2019, which is why we're talking about these focus things, because we want to be the church that He hopes. We want to be the church of God's dreams. Do you ever think about, like, you? You came into being at some point 10 or 20 or 80 years ago, or some years ago. But before that, you had existed as an idea in the mind of God. You were his idea. God, the creator. He thought of you and caused you to come into existence. He also thought of us, church. We existed in the mind of God, in his imagination, before today, before the 1960s or 50s, when, when this congregation began. We were an idea in the mind of God. And our task today is to find out and reflect what that idea was and is as accurately as we possibly can. And if we are to be the church that he hopes we will be this year, we need to focus on the realities of heaven. We need to remember that the tomb is empty. That we are living. We're not just getting one day closer to dying. We are truly living the life, the full life that Jesus came for us to have. We need to remember that our reality is more than what we see, and that our destination is not here. Our destination is with Him. We have a great race to run until we get there. And we have a lot of distractions on the way. But we can do it. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. In the NIV version that I memorized when I was was a kid, it says the author and perfecter of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. You want to think about reality? When things threaten, and this can be good things or bad things, threaten to pull your attention away from God and living the life that he's calling you think about Christ do you think he ever had opportunity to lose focus sure he did you know I think of the temptation moment where Satan takes him out out in the desert and he says turn these rocks into bread and you can eat why are you doing this to yourself you got the power you can give yourself some food He takes him to a high place and says, hey, I'll give you all of this if you'll bow down and worship me. But Jesus knew there's a bigger reality than what he was being shown in that moment. Because Jesus was the bigger reality in that moment and in every moment. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know, we may not know what's ahead. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can have ideas. We can have plans. But we don't know. But we sure can know who is above. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Chase after his kingdom and everything else that you need, he'll provide. Don't wear yourself out chasing after all the things that the world says you need. Don't wear yourself out hiding from all the things that scare you in life. fix your eyes on Jesus and chase after him. Father, I pray that we would do exactly that. I pray that we would live our lives completely and absolutely given to you. God, would you help us to set our minds on the realities of heaven Set our sight on your son so that we can reflect him in every way possible. It's in his name that we pray.